Um, but we are in the middle of a series that we're just calling How to Speak Scripture. And uh, the point of this series is to give language to describe what is happening in our lives as believers. And we're doing this because language shapes culture. And as a church, we want our culture to be shaped by Scripture. And uh, so we're going to use this language, biblical language, to, uh, to explain what's going on in our lives. And, and, uh, and so what we're doing is, is we're going through this and we're talking about some of the words and phrases that the Bible uses and explain them a little bit because oftentimes language tends to lose its meaning over time. And so we started out by talking about, appropriately so, uh, what, what does it mean when we talk about the Bible as the Word of God? Uh, then we moved on and we talked about being in, in the wilderness. Last week we talked about stepping out in faith and we looked at the story of Joshua and the Israelites crossing the Jordan River and, and what does that mean. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be blessed or if you're reading the Beatitudes, what it means to be blessed. It's really the only time we ever say that, isn't it? Blessed. Uh, otherwise it's just blessed. But it's the same word. I don't know if you realize that or not. And uh, to do it, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. And so if you're not there right now, I want you to turn back there. Um, or if you didn't turn when Leah was reading it, you can turn there now or uh, open it up on your app. And we're going to be walking through what we call the, the Beatitudes. And this is a natural place for us to start to look because it's a series of different, uh, different statements about what it means to be blessed. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, the, the context here leading up to this, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. And it says he's going all throughout the Galilean countryside, proclaiming what Matthew calls the good news of the kingdom. And the gospel tells us that the good news of the kingdom was actually Jesus' primary message. He would go throughout, this is kind of a summary uh, of what he taught. So the question is, first of all, well, what does that mean? What is the gospel of the kingdom? And we could talk about it for years, and theologians have debated this for years. There are lots of different elements to, to what it means uh, to be a part of the kingdom of God. But in a nutshell, it means that Jesus came to proclaim a new way of life. A new way of life. And, and, and when he came, he didn't just come to teach new methods in the, same, uh, in, in the same society. He came to tell us that the prevailing notions of society that people lived under for so long have been overturned. And the kingdom of God is coming with his coming. And that is good news, at least for some. Okay? Salvation and God's blessing is available to everyone who is willing to accept it. That's the good news of the kingdom. And now let's talk a, a minute, because I use this word society, sometimes I use the word world, and, and we need to talk a little bit about what I mean when I talk about that, because when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he contrasts it really with two different sort of meanings or two different ways. Uh, one of those ways is the way of the world, or oftentimes what I'll talk about, it, the way of society. Now, in Jesus' day, this would have been the Roman world or the Gentile world. For instance, we see 
in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus and his disciples are, are walking along when James and John make a request for him. Basically, what they say is, is, hey, when you get on your throne in the kingdom, we get dibs on your right hand and your left hand. You know, they're calling shotgun, basically, is what they're doing. I don't know if your kids have ever done that, right? Because they know that that's the, the place of prestige and honor, and they want to get in there. They want to grab that for themselves, and, and maybe you remember, this was Jesus' reply. This is from Matthew chapter 20. Uh, he says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, what was happening there was the way of the world or the way of society had creeped into the thinking of James and John, and they were saying, if I want to be someone, then I have to be someone in power, or at least I have to be next to someone who is in power, and if I want to get there, then I have to go and I have to get it by any means possible. Now, the truth of the matter is, is the world really doesn't believe in blessing, right? Because blessing is something that you receive, okay? But in, in the world, if you want good things, you have to go and get it. And so you earn it. You deserve it. And so the, the fastest and the strongest and the smartest and the most aggressive are the ones who get good things in life. They get them because they deserve them. Okay? And so that's, that's sort of one uh, way of thinking of society that Jesus contrasts his way with. Now, he, but there's another way that probably even more often he speaks in contrast to, and it's what I would call the way of religiosity. Now, I was going to use the word religion, but I know that religion takes on a negative connotation in our society. In the Bible, it's actually a neutral word. You can have good religion and you can have bad religion. And, and religion is basically the practices, the habits, the rituals that we do in order to maintain a relationship with God. And, and in that sense, they, they can be good things. We are actually people of ritual. We are people of habit. And so religion can be a good thing. And so I wanted to, to find a way to say, to talk about bad religion. And so I just called it religiosity. Um, religiosity is actually the belief that our gatherings, rituals, and practice can earn us favor with God. Okay? Um, and, and many people use religion that way, or they think about it that way. Maybe it's sort of their implicit theology that we've, that we've talked about. And they think, well, if I go to church enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I don't use certain words, if I stay away from the wrong people, then God will bless me. I, and I just worry about myself and my own person, personal morality. And unfortunately, oftentimes, the attitude is, well, then the rest of the world can just go to hell. And, and there's an in, inherent self-righteousness in religiosity. And this was the way of the Pharisees. And, and they were the ones who tended to enjoy the prestige of the people around them. I mean, they were the ones who did all of the right, good religious things, and they did them out in public. And so the average Jewish person, person would say, wow, they just have such high standards, and, and they're such good people. I want to be just like them. Okay, now, what those two ways have in common, besides Jesus uh, contrasting his teaching with both of them, is that both of them have a sort of bootstrap mentality. 
This idea that if I do enough good things, that if I achieve enough, then God will bless me. Of course, in society, I get what I want by going for it. And, and of course, what I want is, you know, riches and acclaim and success in my job and all of that. But it's actually the same thing with religiosity that says, if I do the right things, then God will have to bless me. He will have to basically give me what I want. It might be material prosperity. It might be... You know, I want to get married, I want to have a spouse, I want to have kids, I want to have a great job. But either way, whichever way of society that you look at, um, it's getting what I want. But the Beatitudes tell a different story and talks about a different way. It tells us that that is not the way of the kingdom. And so let's walk our way through the Beatitudes and talk about, well, what is Jesus' way? Now, uh, verse... uh, Verse 1 sets the stage here, Uh, and this is what it says. It says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, I want you to notice two things about this scene, because they're they're very important. The first one is this. Notice that Jesus went up on a mountainside. Now, sometimes we just think about this as... Uh, as an insignificant detail. But actually, for Matthew, it's incredibly important. Because one of the main purposes uh, of Matthew's gospel is, is that he wants to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so constantly in the book of Matthew, you see um, allusions to the Old Testament, you see quotes, you see things like, he did this to fulfill what was written in this, uh, in this passage. And, and over and over he does that, and he's very concerned about that. Um, We mentioned a couple weeks ago that Jesus' temptation in the wilderness uh, from the book of Matthew, for instance, is the recapitulation of the Israelites wandering in uh, in the wilderness. And so when Matthew points out that Jesus is teaching on a mountainside, any good Jew would have equated this scene with Moses giving the law to the Israelites, which he did where? On a mountainside. Um, and this w- is made obvious, pretty obvious later in verse 16, the, the verse right after our passage today, where Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so what Jesus was doing was, he was proclaiming a new, quote-unquote, law for the kingdom of God. But, but he wasn't throwing out the old law. What he was doing was he was fulfilling what was intended in the original law. And so this is Jesus' explanation of it. The second thing I want you to notice about the scene is that Jesus here withdraws from the crowds in order to teach his disciples. Now, oftentimes we think that the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon for everyone, like everyone in the world should should follow these things. Uh, But it actually wasn't preached to the general population. This was Jesus' teachings to his disciples. Just like Moses gave the law to Israel so that they could be a light to the rest of the world, Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples so that they could be a light to the rest of the world. And we see that at the end of this passage here. He's teaching a a new kingdom, teaching them a new way of life. And now in the Beatitudes, Jesus um, ultimately looks to answer two questions. The first is, who is blessed by God? And two, what does this blessing look like? 
Those are the two questions we're going to answer today. And, and his answers are in contrast to the prevailing notions. And so for Jesus, it would have been, you know, the Gentiles, the, the Romans or the Jews, uh, but also the Pharisees or even, even the Zealots. You can see him kind of preaching against some of what the Zealots believed. Okay? And this is what it means to be blessed. Now, he does it by, in the form of eight sayings, and all of them start with blessed are, or blessed are. And he explains what the blessing is. Uh, and, and the Greek word for blessed there is the word makarios. And it means happy, but happy in our language doesn't really capture fully what he means, uh, what, what that word means. It, it really means someone who is in a fortunate position. Or someone who is, I guess you could say, favored by God. God does play favorites, right? Um, And that's what it says. He's favored by God. And, And what you need to realize, first of all, is that the kingdom of God is good news. It's good news, not good advice, right? Uh, and, and you know the difference, right? Good, new, uh, good uh, advice is when someone tells you what you can do to make your life better. Good news is when someone tells you that it's already been done, right? And so that's the, the point of the Beatitudes here. Uh, the two systems, whether it's society or religiosity, is that they both start, good, start with good advice and then they give you good news. If you do enough good things, then God will love you. If you do enough good things, then God will bless you. But in the Beatitudes here, Jesus switches that around. He says, first of all, good news and then comes the good advice. That's the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He starts with the good news and, and then you get the good advice. He blesses them before he makes demands on them. All right, so let's take a look. What does it, uh, let's take a look at who is blessed by God, okay? And, and again, I want you to notice that these are not achievements, that, that we uh, jump through hoops or we have a certain status in order to be able to attain. In fact, what they are is their attitudes. And they're a condition of the heart that God recognizes and responds to. And the great thing, the good news about them is that they are attitudes that anyone can have. No matter who you are, no matter where you came from, you can have these attitudes. All right, so let's go ahead and let's walk through them. The first one is in verse 3, where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> it doesn't mean people with bad character. Okay, you have, you have a poor spirit or a poor, uh, um, poor character. Okay? It, it really is more about a person's posture toward God. Here's how the theologian and biblical scholar D.A. Carson describes it. He says, The kingdom of heaven is not given on the basis of race, earned merits, uh, the military zeal and prowess of the zealots, or the wealth of Zacchaeus. It's given to the poor, the despised publicans, the prostitutes, those who are so poor They know they can offer nothing and do not try. They cry for mercy and they alone are heard. In other words, God's blessing comes to those who know that they don't deserve it. This brings to mind a parable of Jesus, a parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. We see it in Luke chapter 11. The Pharisee walks into the temple and he walks in there like he owns the place, his head held high, draws attention to himself, and then he starts to pray and his prayer is literally this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I mean, what a pretentious prayer, isn't it? 
I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector right here, you know, points to the guy next to him, because I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, right? So he's listing his accomplishments. He's talking about why God has to accept him, uh, and, and, and that's what he's doing. Okay, but the despised tax collector come to, comes to the altar And his prayer demonstrates what it means to be poor in spirit. This is what it says. He would not even look up at heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the prayer of someone who is poor in spirit. And these are the people that God blesses. Anyone can have that disposition. Here's here's the second one, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, Jesus isn't talking about mourning in general. Okay? He's not saying, blessed are those whose team lost in the championship and you can't sleep that night. Or even blessed are those who mourn because their grandmother passed away. And you know, those are, you know, might, might play into it. But, but he's not talking about personal bereavement there. He, he's talking about people whose situation is intolerable in life. People who, who don't, receive justice in this world, people whose lives, uh, life is filled with mourning. Now, in the religious circles of Jesus' day, they believed that there was a di- direct connection between sin and suffering. There's a direct correlation there. And so if people lived that kind of life, that kind of life that was intolerable, that was filled with mourning, then most likely they did something to deserve it. And we see this uh, in, a, in a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus is walking along with his disciples and the disciples ask the question, they see a blind man alongside the road and they ask the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Right? And so basically what was happening is that they were saying if someone had bad things happened in their life, it's because they were a bad person or there was a sin that was directly responsible for it and that's why they're getting bad things. Now, initially we look at this and we say, wow, that's just terrible theology. Who thinks like this? Well, actually we do, don't we? I mean, uh, we, uh, we've been doing this book study on Tuesday nights, Divided by Faith, and it talks about the incredible disparities between, the, the, between black Americans and between white Americans. Huge disparities between uh, in education, in poverty and unemployment, in crime, incarceration, you know, many other things. And oftentimes, the response is, is, well, they deserve that. Look at the black community and say, well, they deserve that. You know, if they would just graduate from high school, if they would just get married before they have babies, if they'd get a good job, then they'd be so much better off. And that's that theology, isn't it? Now, it might be true that all of those things, in fact, I would tell you those things, those are wise things. Those are things that we all ought to be doing. Okay? But what if there are no jobs? What if you don't have transportation and the jobs are far away? What if the school that they go to is underfunded? I mean, maybe there are other circumstances that make all of these things that we tell people that they need to do in order to live a blessed life are not available to them. Unfortunately, oftentimes what we do is we blame them and we say, well, if you just do this, then things would be better. And rather than providing comfort and support, the answer is oftentimes to blame. You know, but what they need really is not good advice, it's good news. 
In the Beatitudes, we see echoes of Isaiah 61, uh, which, in the, uh, which in the book of Luke, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he goes into the temple and he opens the, the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he basically takes this as his mission statement. It says, uh, they know that this is a, a passage of the Messiah, and so he says this, uh, he's identifying himself and he's saying, I am the Messiah. And, and this is what, what Isaiah chapter 61 says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the, joy, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. See, the Messiah was going to set up a new way of life where people who were mourning would not be blamed, but they would be comforted. It was the announcement of a new way of life, and so now those who are not receiving good things in this life could now see that they are blessed by God. Verse five, blessed are the meek. Now, we actually talked about this word, uh, the, the Greek word, a few weeks ago, and, and it's usually translated with gentle. And, and we said that, that this is, we oftentimes think about people who are gentle or meek as being really shy and reserved, but actually, and, and powerless, but actually, it, it, it usually means people who do have some power. But instead of using that power in order to, to lift themselves up, they use it to benefit other people. Now, what's interesting about this one is that Jesus says this is the reward. And I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but I think this is relevant. Look, look at the reward that it says for those who are meek or those who are gentle. For they shall inherit the earth. You know, now think about what that means, okay? The strong, the oppressor, the opportunistic, they are the ones who try to take over the earth, try to take it by force. Okay? But in the end, Jesus says, no, they're not going to succeed in, in the new way of the kingdom. Okay? In the end, it's the meek who will receive the earth, but not by taking it. They will receive it as an inheritance from the one who owns it to begin with. That's the reward. And, uh, and this beatitude takes us back to Psalm 37 uses that, and, and it uses this phrase three times in Psalm 37. 37, 9. Uh, For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will, what? Inherit the land. Verse 11. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Verse 29. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. See, Jesus is pointing them back to the Psalms and saying, this is the, this is the kingdom, this is the world that I'm establishing here. Those who try to conquer the earth will be thwarted, and the meek, though, will inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, there's some debate about this one, because the word translated as uh, righteousness is the Greek word dikaiosune, and it can mean either righteousness in the sense of a personal right relationship with God, but it can also mean justice, meaning that the world or society is the way God intended it to be. And so depending on the perspective that you come from, 
you'll either read that, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Now, in, in the book of Matthew, that word almost always means like personal righteousness, right relationship with God. And so most likely that would, that's what he had in mind. But I think in many ways, it's, it's kind of a false contrast anyway, because we, we think about righteousness and justice as different things, but they're actually not different things. You can't really separate them. Because a right personal relationship can't be separated from a heart for justice for God's people or for for the world, actually. You know, personal righteousness is not just about reading the Bible and not swearing or not stealing. Personal righteousness is also about how we treat people. And if you look throughout Scripture, it's also about how we treat the poor and the marginalized in society. And that's where you start to get into some of that justice. And, and so you can't really separate those two things, people who hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. Okay? And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, then God will give us what we desire. Okay? Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The uh, The... He's actually a Matthew expert, R.T. France, a biblical scholar. This is what he says about mercy. He says, mercy is closely linked with forgiveness, but it's broader than just forgiveness of specific offenses. It's a general attitude which is willing to see things from the other's point of view and is not quick to take offense or to gloat over others' shortcomings. Mercy sets aside society's assumption that it is honorable to demand revenge. Okay, now mercy is an action, but mercy is also an attitude. It's it's an orientation of the heart. You have a heart uh, of mercy. Jesus' disciples who want to live the way of the kingdom have hearts of mercy, and that means a willingness to show uh, forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for those who are suffering. That's what mercy is. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now here, Jesus is referring actually to Psalm 24, 3 through 5. It says this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust an idol or swear by a false God, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Okay, now, purity of heart is in contrast to the religious people who are concerned only with outward purity. They're concerned about their reputation. They're concerned about looking good for others. And they look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's a different story, and they can't be honest about that. Um, and in fact, in Jesus' diatribe against the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, uh, this is what he says to them, verse 25. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. The most important purity in God's kingdom is not outer purity, it's inner purity. It's purity of heart, that we are utterly sincere without ulterior motives. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. A little later in the Sermon on the Mount, in uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 45, this is what Jesus says. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, 
love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, when Jesus' disciples are oriented toward peace rather than hatred and division, then we start to take on the characteristics of our Father who's in heaven. That's what Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount. Why do we do this? So that you may be like your Father in heaven. And so, and this is so critical in our society today, so critical um, that, that Christians show our distinctiveness through our ability to love our enemies and pursue, actively pursue peace rather than division in our world. We have to be different. We have to be different. Verse 10. This is where it gets weird. All right? Uh, Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness. Those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus goes on and he explains this one a little further. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're in good company. Now when Jesus says this, he says it to dispel the notion that we can determine whether or not someone is blessed by looking at their outward circumstances. An easy life is not a sign of God's blessing. And we get so used to think about blessing in those terms that we don't really realize what we're saying. And so oftentimes we'll say things like, I just can't believe how good my life is. God has really blessed me. Now think about what we're saying and compare that to what Jesus is saying here. I mean, how how does that square with what Jesus is saying? To equate an easy life with God's blessing. Now, Now God is good. You know, I appreciate that in, in Dwayne's prayer this morning. God is good. And, and we should receive anything that we get that's good in life as a gift from God. Okay? But sometimes the reason my life is easy is because I've set it up that way. Here's how one commentator put it. Sometimes Christians seek a false blessing of an easy life here by tempering their pursuit of righteousness and justice. Jesus says that persecution because of him puts us in good company with the faithful of previous generations. Now, three things I want to say here. First of all, I don't think that we ought to go out looking for persecution. Okay? I don't think we should try to be persecuted. Now, some in the early church did that. They wanted to be martyrs. That was kind of one of the highest things. I don't think that's necessarily the case. But Jesus does say, you know, if you live this way, if you live the way of righteousness, you will be persecuted. You're not just going to have an easy life, and so we don't need to go out and look for it, okay? But our way is not the way of the world. Our way is not the way of religiosity, okay? Our way is the way of Jesus, and so we have to hold faithfully and firmly to that, and whatever happens, whatever people say to us and do to us, then we can just say, well, Jesus warned us. It's going to happen. Second thing is, is that we can expect persecution both from the world and from religious people. Think about that for a minute. Get it from both sides, right? The prophets, prophets were killed by their own people. They weren't killed by the world, the Amalekites or whoever. Jesus was killed because of his own people. 
You know, sometimes religious people act more like the world than they do like Christ. And so when you exhibit the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here, you'll probably get it from both sides. The world won't like your righteousness. The church won't like, you know, peace and um, trying to be peacemakers with the, with the world. We'll get it from both sides. And third, the righteousness that Jesus is talking about doesn't mean other people not liking you because you're a loudmouth or a jerk. Okay, listen to what the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Okay, in other words, Jesus should be your Lord, which means that when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you should conform your life to that and take on the attitudes that he's talking about. Be so committed to that. You know, that's what it means that Jesus is Lord. It's not just that I say it with my mouth, but, it, but that my whole life lives out the fact that Jesus is Lord. And then he says this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that means don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Don't be afraid to talk about why I live this way, okay? Why I have this attitude. I mean, go to the Beatitudes and say, this is the way, this is the attitude that I try to have here, okay? The reason that I live with meekness, the reason I'm a peacemaker, the reason I'm merciful, the reason I'm, I'm so passionate about righteousness is because of Jesus, that he is my Lord, Okay? So be prepared to give that answer. And then he says this. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer or to be persecuted for doing good than doing evil. In other words, live out your Christian conviction. Live out the way of Christ. Live out the kingdom way. If people persecute you because you're obnoxious and you treat them like the enemy, then you're probably just getting what you deserve. That's not persecution, right? But even when you do live out your faith with the utmost respect, Jesus says, you might still be persecuted. And that's okay. You're in good company. This, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but all of these attitudes, poor in spirit, meek, merciful, hungering for righteousness, peacemaking, all of these are the attitudes of people that God blesses. Okay? So when we say, I'm living a blessed life, that God is blessing me, I think in order to see whether it's actually God blessing us or whether we're trying to bless ourselves, is we look and say, what are our attitudes here. Is this something that I'm living out? Because these are the ones that God blesses. Okay, so the question then is, is what are the blessings? What are the blessings that we receive when we live according to the way of Jesus? Well, it's, it's Cadillacs, of course. Nice houses, right? Yachts, things like that. Worldly success in our business. Now, I don't see any of that here, do you? Now, again, I don't think this list is exhaustive, but what Jesus actually describes um, is, is God's blessing, and, and he says it on, each, uh, on the second line of each of the Beatitudes, right? So let's put the list together. Let's get, a, let's get a big picture look. We won't look at all of them individually, but let's just get a big picture look at what it means to live a blessed life, okay? 
you receive the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled with righteousness or receive justice, whichever way you you go there, maybe both. You will receive God's mercy. You will see God himself. You will be seen and known as a child of God. And again, you will receive the kingdom. Then skip down a little bit. You will have a great reward in heaven. I don't see Cadillacs on the list. Nice houses or earthly success, anything like that. See, according to Jesus, to be blessed by God means things like comfort in the time of trial, mercy and righteousness given to you by God, the ability to see God for who he is, to be seen as a child of God. And some of this will happen in this life, but some of it will not. Some of it you have to wait until after this life before you see the fullness of it. But I tell you, I, I believe that it'll be worth the wait. I really do. You might say, hmm, well, I, I always thought the purpose of religion was to give comfort and to promise that if I live right, then I would have a better life, that I would receive good things in this life. Okay, well, that might work in religiosity or, or some kind of civic religion, but if Jesus is your model, you know, just look at his life. How, how did that work out for him? And as Christians, when we talk about God's blessing, we're talking about something in particular. And if these blessings that we see in the Beatitudes are not on your list of what you want to be blessed with, then what you want is not God's blessing. You're looking for something else. The blessing of God doesn't come from some tweaks in our lifestyle adding a little Jesus to the things that we already want to do. The blessing of God comes when our heart and our attitude is aligned with his kingdom. In the end, Jesus tells us that this attitude of the heart will not just have an impact on us, but it will have an impact on the world around us. Because we're not just called to live out our righteousness, we're not just called to live out the attitudes of the Beatitudes in isolation, but we are called to be salt and light in the world. And he uses those two, I guess, are they metaphors or similes or analogies, whatever they are, okay? Salt and light, what does it mean? Well, salt does two things. It enhances flavor and it's a preservative. We don't use it that much as a preservative today, but back then they would salt meat and it would keep for a long time. In other words, this should be the impact of Jesus' disciples on the world. We should add flavor to the world. We should make the world better, make it more enjoyable for people to live in. Not everybody's going to love it, okay? But ultimately, you know, when people are living the way God created us to live, then life actually, I think, should maybe be more enjoyable, Okay, but also that we should be preservatives of society. Now think about what that means, preservatives of society. In verse 13, Jesus says this, If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, in a way, what Jesus is talking about here is nonsense, right? Because salt cannot lose its saltiness. 
because salt is salt, right? But what he's talking about is, is, is that when salt is collected, it's oftentimes collected and it has other minerals with it. In other words, salt is, is contaminated, has impurities. And what Jesus is saying is, is that his church is only effective when we maintain our distinctiveness and we focus on Jesus and his kingdom and his way. As soon as we start to get tainted by other things, we start to lose our effect on society. And we could go on and on about that. In a similar way, we're called to be light in the world. But one of the things I want you to notice about this is that the light that Jesus described is not like, uh, like we sang, you know, maybe you sang this Sunday school song that had that line, you in your small corner and I in mine. Okay, you know that phrase? Okay, this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a city. You know, when, when you see the light of a city, what is it? It's like a thousand or a million lights that are coming together and shining together as a group, and you can see it from miles and miles away. And what Jesus is saying is, is that each of us, if we are living out this role in the kingdom, then we're going to impact the world. People are going to see our good deeds. People are going to see us living out the attitudes that he talks about here, and they're going to give glory to our Father in heaven. This is what we're talking about when we talk about blessing. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word today. And uh, sometimes we don't think, when, when we read passages that are poetic and beautiful and, and have a certain aesthetic Uh, appeal to them, we oftentimes don't think about how hard they are. But God, I thank you for your blessing in our lives, and I thank you that we don't receive your blessing by attaining to some amazing moral superiority or jumping through religious hoops, but all of us, through humility and meekness and recognizing our poverty of spirit, how we don't deserve your blessing and being peacemakers and all of the things that you say there. All of those things are things that we can all do. We don't have to have a certain status. We don't have to have a PhD or other degrees. But any one of us can take on that attitude. And God, I pray that we would be able to have that attitude free from impurities that we would just be that we would just pe- be people who are so hunger and thirst so much for your righteousness that no matter what response we get from people from the world or from religious people god that we just continue to focus on you and follow you in everything that we do and god i pray that that would happen for us as as a church that our light would shine so brightly that people would see us and give glory to you. And so God, I pray that this is the kind of blessing that we would long for and that we would pursue. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.